Okay, so we're in Revelation uh, chapter 13 uh, tonight, and uh, we're going to look at the second beast that rises out of the sea and the number of his name, and we're going to talk about calculating that number. So let's look at Revelation uh, chapter 13, starting in verse 11. It says, then I saw another beast riding, uh, rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. And by the sign... That, it, that it, it is allowed to walk in the presence of the beast. It deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that w- was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave to be marked on the right hand or the forehead. So that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man and his number is six, six. Okay, there is a ton of speculation on this, okay? And the reason, part of the reason there's so much speculation on this is because the truth is, is we don't really know uh, what this number means, other than it does mean uh, chaos, um, and it does mean a rule of Satan uh, upon the world. This mark is the counterfeit of God's mark on his people. That's so important. Revelation 13 is the chapter of counterfeits. You have an unholy uh, trinity in Revelation 13 trying to counterfeit the God's holy trinity. And then you have an unholy marking of Satan marking his people as God marks his own people. So, The mark is a counterfeit to God's mark on his people. And that's important to keep in mind. Um, And if you've been marked by God, you can't be marked by the enemy. Okay? So just remember that. So whose name do we bear? Whose name is on it? Jesus. Yeah, Yahweh's name. God's the Lord. Right. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these are the words I command you today to be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit on your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign where? On your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. So this is like what turns into phylacteries and the for Orthodox Jews, but the idea is they're being marked by God's word, by God himself, and it's interesting that the beast, where does he want to mark people? On their forehead and on their hand. The same place God uses the word of God to mark people. You shall write them on the doorpost 
of your house and on your gates. And then Revelation 2, 3 says, Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he shall with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to the earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Right? Okay? And then Revelation 3.12 talks about being mocked. The one who conquers, I will give, make him a pillow in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. So he's getting it written on. And we know that later on it's written where? On their foreheads. So they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Okay, so this is, this mark in Revelation 13 is a what? What is it? It's a counterfeit, right? Because who's marked God's people? God has, right? The Spirit of God has, right? So Revelation 13, 18 says, this calls for wisdom, let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for the number of a man and his number is 666, okay? So, how do we calculate this number, right? There are four possibilities that scholars talk about, okay? Four, okay? Now, the first one is, it's called... Geometria, and it is a cryptography that Jews and Christians both used uh, in the ancient, in the Second Temple period. So it's a cryptograph which gives, instead of the intended word, its numerical value. So in the Hebrew and in the Greek, uh, letters held numeral or number significance, okay? And then you could add those up, and it would equal different numbers, okay? So, um, it's a cipher produced by permutations of the letters. So the two names that are candidates for those permutations to equal 666 is Nero and Domitian, okay? Nero, you know, he's pretty early, 50, 60 AD, right? And then Domitian is later. So if I'm a preterist, let's see how well we've been listening. If I'm a preterist, which name do I want it to add? Which name do I want to add up? Any ideas? It's okay if you don't know. Nero. Yeah, because I want the book to be early, right? So I want John to be talking in code about Nero. If I'm not a preterist, maybe a futurist or an idealist, it can then add up to Domitian, which is later, he's AD 90, right? Um, so it's interesting, both names actually calculated to 666. So Nero is calculated by using the spelling of his name written in Hebrew. So not the Greek spelling of his name, but the Hebrew spelling of his name. However, uh, they have to use a rare spelling to arrive at the correct calculation, okay? So it's not the common spelling of Nero's name, but an uncommon spelling. Not an incorrect spelling, but an uncommon one. So then it adds up to 666. So is it Nero? Well, 
we're kind of jumping through hoops to get to that calculation, right? Does that make sense? We'll have to be creative. We're dropping a letter, right? So not, not the best, right? Second, or the other option would be Domitian. The calculation is derived from a coin, not actually his name, but, and it's in the Greek, but a coin circulated in his reign, which read, so it's this Emperor Caesar Domitian Augustus Germanicus. Now, if you add those up with the cipher, it equals 666. So each of these letters in the and they have number significance. So it doesn't make the addition or the adding up doesn't make any sense in, in English. Does that make sense? It's, it's in the Greek. And I didn't show it adding up in the Greek um, just because I thought it was a little too complicated. Any questions so far? Yeah, so it was a use. I don't know, it's hard to determine like how common of a use it was. Um, but many scholars think that it was a use that persecuted and oppressed Jewish people or, or Christians used to speak in code about rulers that uh, would not be, what would not be good to put them in the light that they're putting them in, right? Their destruction or their failure. Um, it's not like unequivocally, but it's highly probable. Does that make sense? Um, so these are the two, these are two of the options, these permutations. Um, there's another interesting one. Uh, it's ancient Sudoku. Anybody ever hear of play Sudoku? That Chinese game where you gotta uncover the blocks? Sudoku, yeah, on like the computer. Okay. Yeah, okay, well, it's a, it's a mathematical game, okay? And in the ancient world, it had actually mystical and, and meanings uh, to the layers of the blocks, okay? Um, so ancient Sudoku, um, so is the possibility of 666 is a magic square within the Sudoku level. In fact, it would be the top level of the Sudoku uh, puzzle. So from very ancient times, philosophers and mathematicians were fascinated that the numbers 1 through 36 could be arranged in squares so that each row and diagonal, diagonal would add up to the same sum, the sum uh, principle as, it's the same principle as modern Sudoku, okay? So one magic square has four rows and two diagonals that each add up to one, one, one. The six lines of one, one, one equal six, six, six. Each magic square in ancient Jewish and Greek traditions were also associated with a celestial body. So, uh, so the planets, but also then with a celestial body with a God, okay? So in the case of the 666 square, that body was the sun, which was associated with Zeus, the highest god in the Greek pantheon, okay? Are you tracking now, right? So Zeus was often associated with Baal, the mythological Norse uh, deity, 
of the Canaanite religion, okay? And Baal was often uh, associated with uh, Satan, right? So the most relevant of the beasts in Revelation is Baal's and Zeus' title, Lord of Heaven, right? So that would be another option that he's coming up with the 666 message. So then it says it's possible that the abomination of desolation in Daniel 9.27 is a play on Baal-Sha'em, the, the god of Baal, since the Old Testament writers sometimes submitted words that meant shame or abomination in, into proper names that formerly contained Baal. Okay, so it's a play off of that. This would mean 666 is a symbol for the abominable Baal, the dark lord of the Old Testament world, and the satanic power in the New Testament thinking. Okay? So, then the third, which I think is true regardless of whether it's talking about a specific deity or a specific person, is the symbol of Numbers. Six in the scripture is an imperfect number. Seven being a perfect number. Thus, 666 represents the superlative imperfection. Okay? Second century uh, prophet Sybil notes that the sum of Jesus name is 888. Perfection would be represented by 777 and the superlative perfection by 888. Therefore, 666 represents the ultimate evil posed by the Antichrist in opposition to the ultimate good offered by Jesus. Okay, so it could be meaning this one as well. However, all of that to bore you out of your mind. You okay, Riker? Okay. However, none of these are totally satisfactory, right? In their answers. They're all speculation. And it seems from our vantage point that none of us have the wisdom and understanding to calculate the name, the meaning of the name, do we? Right? Not totally. We're all speculating. Yeah? Kind of challenging. I do think, though, we can glean some understanding from the text. If we just look at the text, right? So, as I've talked about in this discussion, I'm a futurist. So I don't necessarily need 666 to point to something in, my, in the past, right? It could point to Nero. It could point to Domitian. It could point to Baal and the Sudoku, right? It could point to the symbol of chaos and imperfection, right? And in fact, it could point to all those things, right? Um, but ultimately, it's speaking of something future, isn't it? In my opinion, if you're a future, it's speaking of a time that is coming upon the whole world in the last half of the tribulation 
period, where you will not be able to buy or sell. Right? Isn't that what it says in Revelation uh, 13, 16? Oh, 17. So no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the number, the name of the beast or the number of its name, right? So buying and selling. What is the main way that we participate in society, right? We go shopping, right? We do. Now, if you can't shop, right? Are you participating really in society anymore? Not really, right? You're limited, right? How does the government stimulate the economy? They get people to go shop, right? right? And so believers in the last half of the tribulation will not be able to participate in the world society. They're not going to be able to buy or sell. They're not going to be able to engage in society on a normal means, right? Shopping is a cycle of our lives, but during the last half, which I believe of the tribulation, which I believe is coming, you, you won't be able to do that without choosing to worship the unholy trinity of revelation. Now, those who believe will not choose that because they are marked by who? Jesus, God, right? And the world will take on this mark, right? So there's going to be an oppression of Christians, of Jewish believers and Christian believers. Well, yeah, so he's, this is definitely an imitation of God's system that God's going, because God is going to create a beautiful world, right? Where everybody's going to be able to buy and sell. Everybody's going to be, that, that knows God is going to participate, right? But that time is not yet. And Satan is counterfeiting that. He's imitating it. Does that make sense? But it's in a sense of chaos, right? And in a, in a sense of oppression. Does that make sense? And in, as a futurist, this is a day coming. So this is part of the reason why we get so many speculations about the mark of the beast, right? And misinformation, okay? For example, who heard that the mark of the beast was the COVID vaccine. Yeah, people talked about that, I, right? That's not true. But because I say it's a future thing coming, people think that certain things that affect, affect big parts of society, they try to say that that's the mark of the beast. Who remembers when everybody got social security numbers? Just Lynn, probably, right? Right. Len, do you remember in the really conservative Christian circles that there were people that talked about the Social Security number being the mark of the beast? Right. So the Social Security number was the mark of the beast. Was the Social Security number the mark of the beast? No. Right. 
Right, they're superstitious about it, yeah, about the number, yeah. But do you see how then there's this endless speculation that happens, right? Right? Actually, you could go on right now, and people, those memes that talk about wearing a Trump hat is the mark of the beast. Is that true? No. Is the COVID vaccine the mark of the beast? No. Right? Is some chip in the future probably going to be the mark of the beast? Who knows? Probably not. The mark of the beast is not something you physically necessarily get. Because whose name do we bear? We bear God's name, right? Does it say Jesus written across my forehead in Hebrew? I mean, I guess I could go get that tattooed on my head. That would be a quite the fashion statement, wouldn't it? <laughs> right? So a lot of people will say, oh, this is the milk of the beast. Should we pay attention to that? No, I don't think so. Because they're just speculating. What things have to happen before the mark of the beast, this, if it is a literal mark, have to be in play before that would be in play? Well, so it's the last half of the tribulation. How long is the tribulation? Seven years, so it's in the middle. So the Antichrist has to be on the scene, right? Now, there's been a lot of people who've said certain people are the Antichrist too, right? Right? Which haven't panned out. So as a futurist, the temple in Jerusalem has to be rebuilt. No temple. Okay? Therefore, as a futurist, no mark of the beast yet. Does that make sense? So why do I tell you all this? I, I'm, I'm really telling you all this because oftentimes it's easy to get caught up in to speculation. Right? And it's easy to have people make inferences, right? Like, actually, a really good example right now is Israel's at war. It's, a, it's fighting a war on two fronts, right? It's fighting a war on the southern front with the Gaza Strip, and it's fighting a war on the northern front on the, with Lebanon, but not the nation of Lebanon, with the terrorist group in uh, Lebanon, okay? So, and it's fighting with two terrorist groups, Hamas, which is one terrorist group, which is in the southern side, and it's fighting with Hezbollah in the north, which is another terrorist group, right? Now, some people would say, right, ooh, this is the battle of Gog and Magog, but it's not because it doesn't meet the facts, okay? Is it a precursor to a battle? Possibly, but it's not that battle. So if you hear somebody on TikTok or Facebook or you get a mailing in the mail that's talking about that or you listen to a, a teacher that's saying that, he's not right. Okay? He doesn't have his facts right. Now, 
what should we, how should we respond to this conflict that's happening over there right now? You pray, yeah. It's very serious, yeah. That's not nothing to be dismissed. I think we should pray and be actively praying for both Palestinians and Israelis, right? And praying for the defeat of evil, okay? Because there's a difference between Hamas and Palestinians. I don't know, I don't think everybody recognizes that, but the common Palestinian person is not a terrorist, right? Now, some of them are radicalized and become terrorists, but the common Palestinian is not a terrorist, right? And they're suffering, right, because of the terrorists. Just like ju they get labeled, they, they're actually, it's more than a label, they're going to receive the brunt of the counterattack that Israel's going to send, right? Over 1,200 Israelis are dead. 14 Americans are dead, right, from this terrorist attack. Right? So, I mean, we're up to the numbers of 9-11. Right? And we went, as, an, as America, and pretty much flattened Afghanistan. Right? So, but we need to have this sympathy for both peoples. Because both peoples are created in the image of God, aren't they? Right? So we need to pray for Palestine. We need to pray that both Israel and Palestine would come to know Jesus, right? The Palestinians, right? So, but, but these things, as we go through Revelation, a lot of people will want to speculate, especially when you're a futurist, right? But they're all markers that have to happen, right? The Great Tribulation's not started. The Antichrist is not revealed. <coughs> <coughs> So, <coughs> any questions about the mark of the beast or about uh, the war that's going on right now? Or about any of the beasts in chapter 14, I suppose? Yeah, so so you have little a antichrists, so they're just minor antichrists. There's many uh, people who rise up and are against Christ and, and oppose him and even, like, counterfeit. But the antichrist is really the one that does the abomination of desolation um, that's leading Israel in worldwide peace. That's the antichrist. And scripture, by context, typically differentiates between the two. Um, there's debate, but it's unknown. It, it really, scripture doesn't speak to his origin. For, him, for the Jews to embrace him probably has at least Jewish roots, but not, not necessarily.
Yeah, it, it is bad, and it's it's going to get worse. Because Israel hasn't even really done its offensive yet. So they're still cleaning up all the bodies from Hamas's offensive. That was really, I mean, it was against military outposts, but then it was against civilians in the villages and things. So it was, it's horrific. It was horrific. Um, yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm just going to let you know uh, that your mainstream news is not going to cover it very well. Um, so Fox and CNN and ABC, they all have a pretty strong anti-Israel bias. So just keep that in mind. I, I like I-24. I-24 news, yeah, for that it's an Israeli newscasting company. So at least if I watch Fox or CNN or ABC, then I go kind of watch the I-24 on YouTube as well to kind of just get more of the whole story. Well, I don't think it's unbiased. I'm not going to say that. It's, uh, it's biased towards Israel. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the I-24 is pro-Israel. So they don't say Israel can't do any wrong, but they report what's going on with the Palestinians. They don't mask that. And CNN and ABC and even Fox will mask somewhat of what Hamas is doing. So. So I look at God is faithful to his people. And the Jewish people, all his people, he chose them. Um, are all Jews going to be Christians? No. Are all Jews going to be saved? No. Um, but God still values his people, and I want to value his people. Those who bless Israel, I will bless. So those are promises that, that we, need, we can hang on to. And so, um, and like I said, uh, praying you know, against a terrorist group, like against Hamas and some precatory pills against these terrorists would be totally appropriate to oppose evil. And then to pray, I think, in my opinion, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, but overall that peace comes through the salvation of Jesus to them. So praying for Palestinian salvation and praying for Israel's salvation as individual Israelis. And that there's a lot of Christian organizations in Israel to minister to Jews and that <coughs> times of crisis can actually be really good times, you know, to show Christ's love and to, uh, you know, have an impact uh, for, th for the gospel, you know. And, and these uh, terrorists, not the Palestinians, but the terrorists, uh, Hamas is definitely just almost demonic, really, and their hatred and and then the evil that they commit. Um, Secretary Pro is praying God's judgment on them. So, Lord, would you please judge them? Lord, would you? Please strike them and not allow them to perpetrate evil anymore, that you wouldn't allow them to 
you know, chop up any more people and things like that. It's a form of lament, but it's praying the judgment of God upon, upon an evil and an injustice. Which are very appropriate in, in conditions like this. Any other questions? Or thoughts? Yeah, so Sudoku, the, the tile layer, that's uh, the sixth one, adds up to 666, which is Zeus's tile layer, because each tile layer uh, represents a, a celestial body and a, and a deity. So 666 is the celestial body, the sun, which Zeus is represents, which then, uh, if you go from back from Zeus to Canaanite mythology, Baal is, is the one that Zeus is representing. And so then Baal, of course, is God's arch enemy in the Old Testament and, and a symbol of chaos and, and really in some ways the, the god of, 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 of the evil god, right? So that's that tie with Satan. No, no. So th that's more of a symbolic meaning um, of saying this number carries the weight of evil, um, and this figure is evil. Does that make sense? And it's more the idea of, in all of these, except for the fourth, the numerology, I'm not, yeah, the Gementi one, or which is also called numerology uh, one, all of the rest are really the, that 666 carries the symbolic nature of chaos and evil. And then that's embodied in a, in, in, if you're a futurist, I believe that's embodied in the Antichrist in the end times. Does that make sense? If you're not a futurist, then it doesn't necessarily mean that. Or it means that, like, if you're a preterist, you think they, they the Nero embodied that. Does that make sense? Nero was the, yeah, he was one of the worst. Uh, definitely in the early church, I mean, he 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 bl he burned Rome, blamed the Christians on it, and then you know persecuted Christians heavily. Both Peter and Paul were were killed under Nero's persecution. He would uh, dip Christians in oil and put them on crosses, and then light his gardens with them. It was, yeah, he was not a good guy. Yeah. So, but even if it was referencing Nero, I would s John would also be referencing Nero and then future. If he was re uh, re referencing Domitian, he'd be re referencing Domitian and then future. And then like 100 years later, Irenaeus, our early church father, uh, does a calculation where it works out to be Rome, okay, using numerology. And so then Rome is the e embodied evil no, no, just Rome. It's not till later on that the Rome, 
because what happens, you know, with Constantine, the Roman, the Catholic Church get intertwined. Does that does that make sense? And so then, but see, like really, um, yeah, the the true Roman Empire was like in Constantinople with the split, and they they lost. Rome actually fell. Fell. You see what I mean? Like. So it gets complicated, but yeah, so there is a common thing where the Catholic Church, especially Martin Luther and Kelvin, tied the Kelvin the Catholic Church with Rome and then called them the Antichrist or ushering in the Antichrist. I don't think that's accurate at all, but it, they did that. Does that make sense? And so if you read some really old commentaries, they'll do that. Yeah, they make that connection because uh, the Catholic Church and Rome become intertwined with, with the emperors. Does that make sense? And then the popes end up appointing emperors, and church and state become like church and Rome become intertwined. They're having fun in there. Any other questions or thoughts? You guys having fun? What's going on with my show?